And, and I see you still have that here. There's a plug-in, Luke, where they used to plug in the, speak, uh, the, the microphone for the preacher. They would plug it in, and it'd be a long cord, and he'd put it around his neck, and he'd walk around. And a little boy was sitting with his mother down there and said, he won't hurt us if he gets loose, will he? And so, uh, yeah, but speaker systems are great. Uh, let me express my appreciation to you uh, for the invitation to be here and to be a part of this day. It is special. It is a special day. It has given me the opportunity to, uh, I guess, memorialize in my mind uh, and go back many years. Uh, now, will a bell ring? What happens? Does the bottom fall out? A bell ring at 10, uh, nine, uh, 10 15? What happens? It depends on how long you talk. <laughs> The, I, okay, well, I'll stop at, I'll stop at the uh, quarter after the hour. Uh, so, you know, when I think back, and, and I would want to spend... Yes, ma'am? Let Sam tell you something about your dad. Okay, Sam, what do you want to tell me about my dad? That's a funny story, but if you go ahead with what you got to say. <laughs> well, my dad, uh, of course, we were here that first Sunday. Uh, 1947, I was seven years old at the time, and my memory, to my memory, uh, Arthur's dad led singing that day. I can remember, now, uh, your memory after a while kind of weakens on you, but uh, in my memory, I remember Max Greer, of course, his wife, uh, Arthur's mother, and my mother were very dear friends. They, I mean, they were dear friends, and so uh, the Greer family, uh, has been close to us because uh, my grandmother's sister uh, over in Sequatchie Valley. Now, if you're from Sequatchie Valley, it's called Squatchy Valley. If you're not from there, it is Sequatchie. So you got to... Uh, but <clears throat> my mother was a Merriman, and her sister, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, was married to a Greer. Uh, and I can remember the Greer family because they were all... Uh, very faithful Christians and dedicated. And so uh, I remember Arthur's dad real well, very well. And so it was that Sunday uh, in 1947. We had been attending uh, the Woodland Heights congregation. Uh, so many, I, We lived in Red Bank. And we started attending Woodland Heights because my dad had not really been faithful to the church. Uh, mom would take me and my brothers, we would, she would get up and we would walk, uh, to the Red Bank Church building. And my mother wanted to encourage my dad, so she decided that we would go to Woodland Heights because we had to ride with Lester Massey. Brother Lester Massey was the preacher at Woodland Heights and he lived one street below us on Tacoma Avenue. And so my mother, she, so for dad to be able to go to worship with us, he had to get up and ride with Brother Massey and us to go. And that's how she got him going back again. And, of course, he became faithful and later became a deacon uh, here at the White Oak Congregation. Uh, so I have a lot of memories, and I'm not going to spend all of the time on those memories because uh, I, I have so many of them. I made my first talk. I was baptized uh, in that baptistry. Uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, there were five of us who were baptized. There was Willard Collins was holding a meeting, 
There were six responses that night uh, to the invitation. Uh, myself, John Acuff, Robert Manus, uh, Orville Walden, uh, and his brother. The, uh, we were all ten. Uh, Jim, Jim, Orville, John, Robert, myself. The five of us. Don Rothwell, who was the stepfather of Robert Manus, he responded that night. But five of us uh, were baptized. Brother Willard Collins was holding a two-week meeting uh, at that time. Now, it scared the living daylights out of brethren. We'll have a two-week meeting. Oh, we'll die if we do that. So uh, I was baptized then. Uh, I, uh, I made my first talk uh, from this pulpit when I was 15 years old. Uh, on three by five, had a three by five card, and on that the talk was uh, man, God's part and man's part. Uh, and so uh, I think, and, and I look out, and I can, t- or I can tell where your mom, and dad always said, Ernest. I know where they said. Uh, I knew where everybody said. Uh, I knew where the teenagers were. Always sat right over here. Uh, but the memories. Uh, you know, precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. I can remember the first gospel preacher. Uh, we had, the, the church had been built the basement, uh, and we were meeting in the basement. Uh, Bill Lewis, uh, was the first preacher, and then, uh, when they built, uh, this auditorium and this, uh, the rest of the building, <clears throat> it wasn't long, and I don't remember the dates, uh, Hugh Davis, uh, came to preach for the congregation here. Preached several years. Brother Hugh Davis was a, a good preacher, very good preacher. Uh, he left following his work. Brother E.J. Fletcher uh, was the preacher. And I'll never forget, I will, this, I, w- I would sit down here on the front seat and uh, mom, as long as I behave. And I'll never forget, he used the American Standard Version of the Bible. And he quoted Hebrews 11.1. 1. I decided he was a false teacher because that, that wasn't the way the King James were in, you know. And uh, come to find out that was the reason why. But the, the number of folks and the work that has been done, uh, my, my brother, my brother was married in this building. Uh, my dad's funeral was conducted uh, in this building. Brother Raymond Crumley's, uh was the preacher of the time when my dad passed away. Uh, so uh, the memories that I have uh, are, are tremendous. I love, I love the White Oak Church of Christ. And I think one of the reasons, one of the things that I've looked back on, and one of the, I, the, I, I don't know, but I think one of the reasons I love the church so much, and I love working in the church. I'm, uh, I'm in my 61st year uh, as a gospel preacher. Uh, I started preaching at the Woodland Heights Church the first Sunday in uh, January of 1962, and I have not been without a local congregation uh, since that time. And I, I look back at my life, and the thing that I look back at is the influence of the White Oak Church of Christ. This congregation, I, I mean, I love this congregation. We had great Bible classes. Uh, we had a sister Henniger. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember, if you remember sister Henniger, she was a great teacher, but she was a mean looking lady. I'm going to tell you, uh, I never forget John and I were in the classroom down in the next to the furnace 
And I said something to him, and boy, let me tell you, she she lowered the boom on me. Uh, but uh, wow, what a tremendous lady. We had, uh, I remember when I was even smaller, I, my, I don't remember, our, my, I remember the classroom at one time that I was in was the foyer of the downstairs. So when, you, that was before this building was built. So latecomers, I mean, we had part of us children said, and my, uh, my Aunt Thelma Acuff and Maud Thomas were the teachers in that class. And I'm going to tell you, those ladies could give, put Christmas parties on like you would never believe. I'm telling you. I, see, I grew up with some great Bible teachers. Bill Dean taught the senior high class. And I will never forget again, uh, he had a son about probably a year, maybe close to my age, maybe a year or two younger, I'm not sure. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, we had, uh, we, we would go on hay rides. I had an uncle with a coal truck. Now I'm going to teach a lesson in about four minutes. Uh, but he had a coal truck and he'd clean that coal truck out and they'd put hay in it and we'd go to Harrison Bay Park, uh, on a hay ride and have a cookout and cook ha- uh, hot dogs and, uh, have a great time. And we, I mean, that wasn't a one time thing. We did that regularly. Uh, Arthur and I were talking yet about Johnny Pleasant. We used to go over to Johnny Pleasant's house. He had a huge yard. I don't know, probably doesn't look as big now as it did then, but we always had picnics over there. We'd go to Al Pendergrass every year on December 31st. Al Pendergrass and his wife had the church at their house uh, for uh, uh, singing in the new year. And praying out the old year and singing the new. So when I look back over all this, I'm thankful for the influence of the White Oak Church of Christ because I, I was the editor of the first bulletin that this congregation had. Uh, Brother Dean uh, went to the elders of the congregation at the time and said, my class uh, wants to put out a... A bulletin. We, we want to. We want to put out a bulletin. He got their permission to do so. I. My mother bought me a typewriter. I didn't know how to type then, and I don't know how to type now. So, but again, I wanted to mention that because I want you to know the influence and the impact of the White Oak Church of Christ. Many souls have been saved as a result of the influence. And I look back and so... Now, I have, and I'm not going to go through this, I have a directory of the White Oak Church of Christ in 1951. And I counted up According to, according to what I counted, I counted 123 families at the White Oak in 1951. 200 based on, now I think that you, that you give or take some there. Uh, 225 members, uh, of the uh, congregation here. Uh, so when you look back and, and I, I look back and I see all of these names and I think of the memories that I have, uh, because of the tremendous impact uh, of all those folks uh, on our life. So when you and I think about a congregation, one of the goals that I've had as a gospel preacher, and that is I want folks to grow up in that congregation 
in 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now to remember what that meant to us because of what you and the White Oak Church of Christ has meant to me uh, as not only a gospel preacher, uh, but as a Christian. And I, the, the, again, the Jackson family, what a powerful uh, impact they had. I used to drive the bus to, to uh, board the cannon school and pick up Ernest's mom. And Wade, was he the youngest one at that time? Uh, and I'd pick them up and go to, to board the cannon. I'd teach school, take them home. Um, so when you think, and sometimes, you know, you wonder, well, do I make an impact? Do I have any, am I, let me tell you, yes. When you look at your life, and you look at a congregation, and look at what it, what it means to you and to others, to me that's powerful. That is powerful because husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, you know, the Bible says to Acts chapter number 20, told the elders, take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock with which the Holy Ghost made your overseers. Feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So when you and I think about the church, and we think about the impact uh, of the church and the community. Now, the next half an hour, turn your Bibles to, uh, in our lesson, I want to go to the books of First and Second Timothy. Uh, I, I appreciate Brother Austin and Brother Luke and the work which they are doing. And I, I, Of course, I've known these men, uh, and I'm just thrilled at the work. I love all, both of you, just great uh, in uh, the work that you're doing. When you look at First and Second Timothy... Uh, along with Titus, uh, the last, actually, about the last three books, the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote 14 books of the New Testament. I count Hebrews as one of those, uh, and you may not, but if you do, about 14 books of the New Testament. When you look at First and Second Timothy, Brother Johnny Ramsey, I don't know if it, did, did you ever hear Brother Ramsey? Uh, Brother Johnny Ramsey was a tremendous preacher. Uh, I, I have notes. Uh, he held meetings where I preached as well as I'd go wherever he was. And uh, I have one, I remember, right, he, I was taking, I always take notes because I'm, I hope I can learn something. But Brother Ramsey, on the first point, his first point quoted 75 scripture on point number one. Uh, he was he was a unique man, very unique man. Uh, loved Brother Ramsey, but here's what Brother Ramsey. There were two men. Brother Ramsey had a powerful impact on on, the, on my opportunity as a gospel preacher of uh, being able to associate with him. And Brother Charles Hodge, uh, Hodge uh, preached at the Rosemont Church in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, and then uh, he left there. Uh, he only preached, I think, for about two churches. Charles Hodge read a book a day. Uh, I had quit preaching. I had I had started preaching. Uh, I had gone to, to Faulkner, what now, for Alabama Christian College. And um, it, it was kind of one of these situations where you, you get involved in something. Have you ever been somewhere, kind of like a merry-go-round, the thing's going around fast and you can't find a place to get off? And so what I had done, I had started preaching because... Uh, I needed the income for one thing. I was teaching at Boyd Buchanan. I made more preaching at Woodland Heights than I did teaching school at Boyd Buchanan. 
this was back in 1962. So I, I was preaching and went to Bryan Street to preach. That didn't work out very well. That was my first full-time work. And it didn't work out very well. Uh, I was smart aleck. I knew everything. Elders, uh, those precious men didn't know anything. I, I was 23 years old and I knew it all. So it didn't work out well. I went to them and I said, I'm gonna, I decided preaching's not for me. I'm not gonna do this. I'm going back to school, get my degree in school administration. So I went to the elders and I told them, I said, look, uh, I'm gonna give you my 90 day notice. They said, we don't need 90 days. <laughs> they were very gracious men. Three years later, they invited me back to, to Bryan Street to hold a meeting. Your dad was one of the elders there. I love, I'm telling you, my memories, I've sat in your kitchen, and I can just hear James Ballard say, June, get there some coffee. Am I right? Uh, he was, I tell, he was my, he was my support. Uh, <laughs> but I had, I mean, I was, I, they were, they made the, it was the right thing. But I went, I continued preaching, because I was, I had a child now, and I'm going to school, and the all good church needed a preacher, and they said, "Well, you can go to school all you want." And so I did that, and it it just kind of, but I never found a, a place to get off. But I was preaching for the Allen Park Church in Allen Park, Michigan. I it it was I had been preaching now for eight years, but every Sunday was miserable. I would preach, and I'd go immediately to the back to the foyer, and I would look to see what the attendance was. If the attendance was up, I was up. If the attendance was down, I was down. And I would go, I, I quit almost every Sunday. Finally, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I went to the elders of the congregation, and I said to those men, I said, look, I'm giving you my resignation. I'm, I'm going back to Cookville, Tennessee. We're, this was Allen Park, Michigan, Detroit area. I'm going to Allen Park, Michigan, or back to uh, Cookville, Tennessee. And I'm giving my resignation. I'm going to teach school. I'll preach part-time maybe, but I'm going to teach school. They said, we don't want you to do that, but we can't stop you. And I said, well, I, I made my decision. So they said, one thing we want you to do, don't announce your resignation for two weeks until we have a gospel meeting coming up with Charles Hall. We don't want you to announce your resignation until after the meeting because we don't want that hanging over the congregation. So I said, okay, that's fine. My life changed. I'd go back and find the date. My life changed on Saturday afternoon when I went to the Detroit Metro Airport and picked up Charles Hodge. My life has never been the same since then because in Four days, he showed me a picture of preaching that I had never seen in my life. By and here's why I say Hodge, Hodge and Johnny Ramsey both said every preacher ought to read First and Second Timothy every week. But by Wednesday of that week, I had I went back to the elders and I said, "I want to, can I withdraw my resignation?" They said, "Sure." So uh, I've continued since that time. Uh, and thrilled to have the opportunity. So these men, Brother Ramsey and Brother Hodge, they say that every preacher ought to read First and Second Timothy. Timothy was a preacher. When you read the New Testament, 
what you're going to find is that Timothy, other than Christ, or maybe the Apostle Paul, possibly Peter, but other than that, Timothy is mentioned more times in the New Testament than any other character. I think 20-something 20, 20 times. If you were to Google, if you were to go and just, uh, how many times Timothy? Now, sometimes it'll come up Timotheus. Uh, so you have to include that as well. But Paul writes to this young preacher. He has left him at Ephesus. If you go back to Exodus chapter number 20, for an example, 18, 19, and 20 of the book of Acts. I said Exodus. Acts 18, 19, and 20, Paul spent more time at Ephesus than he did anywhere else. And so Timothy, Paul was there about two and a half years. So Timothy uh, is, quotation by what we would call the local preacher at Ephesus. Paul writes these letters. There's two of them. One of them written sometime around A.D. 64. Uh, Paul was not imprisoned at that time. Uh, but then when he writes Second Timothy, he is imprisoned and his life is not long uh, to have. So he writes to Timothy. And so in First Timothy chapter 1, here's what, if you have uh, your Bible, I, I'm going to go through uh, and I, I'm just going to give you a, a rough draft uh, of the books of First and Second Timothy and I'm going to conclude uh, on the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, because I believe it's there that he winds this up. Number one, chapter number one, sound teaching. Paul said, Timothy, and, and the verse that I have, verse number three, that thou mightest charge some that they do not teach another doctrine. Now Paul writes to Titus, and he makes the statement to Titus, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and so forth. And so when you Paul says, Timothy, you've got to instruct them that they teach no other doctrine, that some that they teach not any other doctrine. All right, let's go to chapter number 2. When you and I look at chapter 2, Paul is really talking about prayer. He said, I exhort therefore. First of all, he said that supplications, prayers intercession, giving of thanks, be made for all men, for kings, and so forth. So uh, he focuses in. Now, uh, he points this out. He said, "Down, I would have all men to be saved, verse number 4. But when you go down to the end of that chapter, he's still dealing with this subject of prayer, and it has to do with men and women. There are two Greek words. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I did have a Greek salad one time, but I'm not a Greek scholar. Uh, and uh, maybe Luke and all, maybe these fellows have studied the Greek. Uh, and I wish that I had. I wish that I had studied it more. Uh, but there are two words, there are two, uh, words, Greek words. One of them is referring to the male. Now when you go over here, notice this. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, when you and I look at this, he's using, he's using the, the masculine, the gender, the male. And then he gives instruction in this second chapter in prayer that woman to keep silent. Uh, I suffer another woman to teach, so you serve the authority over the man. She has a responsibility. So when you're looking at that, 
And again, I look at this great chapter on the subject of prayer, and he is simply saying that prayers need to be... Paul said, pray without ceasing. Y'all remember that? James writes to us, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Bible said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. So when you and I look at uh, the subject of prayer, uh, I think one of the great examples of it is found in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah challenged the 450 priests of Baal. Uh, you know, they jumped up on the, the altar and they're cutting themselves and crying out to Baal in a 15-second prayer. 15-second prayer. Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven and consumed the animal and the wood and the stones and left up the water around him. So Paul says to Timothy, I would encourage, I exhort that first of all, prayers, supplication be made to all men. Go to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 gives instruction regarding elders and deacons. When you and I look at elders and we look at the qualifications of an elder, one of the interesting things, when you, if you want to write that down, go over to Titus chapter 1, you get all of these uh, qualifications of an elder. There's really, when you look at the Christian, you and I, all of us have... Now, there are some specifics that every Christian are not going to have. For an example, you can go to heaven being a novice, just obey the gospel and, and decease. And, and so, but an elder cannot be a novice. You can go to heaven without being married. I don't know if that's a good idea. but Now, I have a sermon I've preached at one time, I think, can an unmarried person be saved? Well, the answer to that is no. You've got to be married to Christ. Uh, we're married to Christ. Uh, so, but when you look, he's not a novice. He must be married. He must have believing children. So when you and I look at the qualifications, but now when you look and, and go to, to uh, 1 Timothy 3, a man desires a bishop must be blameless, uh, good behavior, of course, having a husband and one wife, good behavior, so you, can, you don't have to be married. Uh, and so he gives these. And then he points out also uh, the responsibility of the deacons or the appointment likewise must the deacons. Uh, and it's kind of interesting also, if you look at verse 11, he gives instructions regarding the deacons' wives. And so, you know, I, I've always been grateful to God for deacons' wives. Because they're the ones who urge the deacons, get your job done. <laughs> if you want something done, call the deacon's wife. Uh, I, I sent out a text the other day. Now, I had to include the deacons to be, I guess, biblical. But we, we ask our deacons and their wives every year at the Christmas time to, to organize and to put on the, the holiday party, Christmas party, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I know who's going to do it. I know the wives are going to do it. I sent the text out to all the deacons and their wives. I include their name. Women are important in the body of Christ. I'm telling you, the, the women, our godly women, God blessed them. And they're not neglected here. The Bible gives us great instruction. 
regarding the, the work of them. Paul writes and he talks about this in the third chapter of First Timothy. So when you and I are looking at this, it's just a great opportunity for us to learn on this. Chapter 4, False Teachers. We've got it today, folks. False Teachers. Uh, Paul said, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies, and hypocrisy, having their conscience burned, sold, the Bible says, with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from me. You and I know, folks, listen to this. Isn't it interesting that back in about 64 A.D. that the Apostle Paul would write to a young man, and he said, in the latter times, men are going to depart from the faith. And let me give you some qualities of that false teaching. Forbidding to marry. Hey, do, do I have to announce it? The Catholic Church forbids their, forbid to marry. Commanding to abstain from meats. I'm telling you, the influence of that is seen in every restaurant still on Friday. What's their main food? Fish. Now you remember some popes wiped that out. And I saw a cartoon one time. This old guy was in hell. said, what do we do now with these people who ate meat on Friday? Uh, so when, when you and I think about it. That took a minute. <laughs> but when you understand. See, when you think about false teachers. We have today, it's just, I did a, I did a survey, I did a, a research, uh, I did a research on uh, the top hundred churches in America by attendance. The largest was the Smiling Preacher, uh, 40, an average on Sunday mornings or whenever, whatever time they had it. 42,000 people. That's a pretty good crowd. All the way down, I think the, the smallest amount that I saw was probably about 16,000 out of these 100 churches. Now let me tell you what I found. A lot of, you know, in the latter days, men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, commanding to abstain from meats and forbidding to marry. When I looked at these 100 churches, there were two things that were very prevalent in looking at the websites of this 100. Number one, out of 100, there were only five churches that had the name Christ anywhere in it. It's some other name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So, in these five out of 100 had the name of Christ or Jesus in its name. Now, here's the second thing. 
and looking at the pictures, they, they would all have a picture. I think, and I, I don't know, I didn't count all of them, but uh, I would say 75% of them, when you saw, when they, when they had a picture of your, of your front like this, the one thing that was always prevalent was a band, instruments, music. Paul, what are you telling us here? For every creature of God is good and nothing be refused if it be received with thanksgiving and it's sanctified. In other words, it's by the word. Go to chapter number 5. It talks about widows. It talks about widows. It talks about how the church has a responsibility to widows. Uh, the church is not, it's kind of interesting the church is not what, what the world wants it to be. The world wants it to be a social society. And that is, there is a social aspect. Don't misunderstand that. But the church is not, the, the church has a threefold responsibility. I don't have to go through You all know that. But he gives, Paul gives instruction to Timothy. Now, chapter number six, and I know I'm just hitting high points here. Godly living. Go down to verse number six. And look what the, he said, but godliness with contentment. Is great gain. Paul writes to Timothy and he said, Timothy, you're at Ephesus. Here's what I want you to do. You teach these people these things. Godliness, he talks about money. He talks about they charge them that are rich in this world, that they trust not in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So this is 1 Timothy. Then Paul is imprisoned. And if you go to Second Timothy now, and you go, I mean, you're going to find that, that Second Timothy in one way has a different tone. And the reason it has a different tone is Paul knows his time is limited. He's not going to be here very long. His time is limited. And so, but here's an interesting thing. He doesn't spend four chapters lamenting what's going to happen to him. He uses most of that book to charge this young gospel preacher, this young man, Timothy. Uh, for an example, uh, he, he tells him, be courageous. Be courageous. You know, we need courageous men today. See, man, if you preach on that, we're going to fire you. Well, preach it anyhow and get fired. Now, I've never gotten fired. I'm thankful for that. I always left a week before. <laughs> I've got some keen sensors. But when you think about it, we've got to be courageous in standing for truth. We don't have to be mean. We just need to be courageous. We don't have to look, folks. And I know you don't. I'm, I'm speaking to the to the. But folks who love God, love the church, love the kingdom, and you're so precious to me and to the church wherever you attend because you stand up for what's right. You live it. And so he is saying, be courageous. Chapter 2, he identifies different types of Christians. My mom and dad are buried. Not, uh, let me see. What's it, about a half a mile up to the cemetery up here? They're buried, and 
I'm thinking now, it's been a while, but I'm thinking it's not far from the duck, duck pond. Y'all know where the duck pond is? When I was a kid and we had vacation Bible school, we always had the last day picnic at the duck pond. When you go up to the duck pond, and there's ducks there, and those ducks, they just, have you ever noticed the duck? Isn't it great? They just glide. Wouldn't you like to be able to? They just glide across the pond, you know? But underneath, you know what? They're there peddling like crazy. Now, not far from the duck pond is are big trees. You know what goes up and down those trees? Anybody want to guess? Squirrels. Squirrels go up and down those trees. We got squirrels. Have you? Ever, we have birds. We have things to feed birds in our in our yard. And I'm telling you, there's this squirrel. I got a BB gun. It don't work, but I got this. I mean, that dude can get up there and he can hang a certain way to get the food out of that thing for the squirrel. And I got one that they can't get to. But these squirrels. But now I want you to look at this. You can take that squirrel all day and put him on that duck pond, and he'll never glide across the duck pond like a duck. He's not going to do it. You can take that duck and you can have tree climbing instructions for a month. He's not going to climb a tree. You know why? He's a duck. He's a duck. Now look at chapter number 2. Paul says, for an example, there are teachers. He uses the illustration, soldiers, farmers, students, so when you look at the second chapter, he gives all of these descriptions. I mean, uh, vessel. You're like a vessel if you go down there. You're a servant. I've written teacher, soldier, athlete, farmer, vessel, servant, worker. Every man, woman, boy, and girl here has a unique ability. Every one of you. My wife's uh, niece, Rhonda, she's great. She teaches kindergarten. And she gets aggravated at me because I, I say, Rhonda, how long have you been teaching? She's not going to tell me this, but I know she's been teaching kindergarten for 45 years. I believe more than that, but I'm, I'm just going to stop there. She told me something that I thought was very interesting. She said, uh, Larry, every student in my class, my kindergarten class, every student has a job. I thought, wow. Why don't we do that in the church? Everybody's got ability. So Paul does that. Chapter number 3, and I won't go through this. Perilous times shall come, and he says men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But now go to chapter number 4, and I've got about 2 or 3 minutes, and I've got four. I got 5 things that I think sums up all of this. Number 1 is this, always, 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 always preach the Word. That's what he said. I charge thee therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead of His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long time. Preach the Word. The Word of God must always be preached. Secondly, there is a pattern that is shown. We show a pattern. 
There are certain things that every one of us do that people in our, our families can identify. They, they know, they know. Why? Because there's a pattern. Paul's life was a pattern. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm now ready to be offered. I fought a good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me on that day. So there is a pattern that we may leave and that we may show to others. Then go down to number three. And that is in verse number 11. We're partners in the work of God. Look at what he said. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, bring him with thee, for he's profitable me to the men. We're partners. My job is pulpit preaching, teaching. Uh, also one of the elders. Uh, Brother Art's job is solely, I'm not really saying, I'm a, I could, but you wouldn't want it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, people ask me, as, as you would imagine, they you can't Roy Acuff. I had a lady come out of church one Sunday. I was holding up meeting one service up in McManville, Tennessee. She came, she said, Brother Acuff, you can't Roy Acuff? I said, yes, ma'am, but I can't sing. She said, well, he couldn't either, so... <laughs> So we have this, this pat, we're, we're, we work together. See, we, we are partners in the work of God. Number four, always remember the presence of the Lord. Go to verse 17, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. The Lord is always with us, folks. And then number five, you and I need to do this. We need to praise God. Look at verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, will preserve me the heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. These five things, in my opinion, sum up First and Second Timothy. So when you're reading, uh, I, 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 some, I would say, if you want to finish well, Look at those five things. Thank you and God bless you.